Welcome to Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, content marketing strategy advisors and counselors to leading brands and organizations worldwide. Convince and Convert makes your content better. Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. And by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. Now, here are your hosts from Oracle Marketing Cloud, Chris Moody, and from Uberflip, Randy Frisch. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Content Pros Podcast. Really excited today. We're joined by Tom Webster for the second time. So we had Tom on season one and we're glad to have him back on season two. Chris, thanks for that bridge. And Tom, it's great to have you here. I I was not a co-host back in in your first visit. So I'm I'm excited to, to have the opportunity to chat with you today. For those who don't know about Edison Research, major leader in, in polling and various research. So given given the timeliness of the year and everything going on with the U.S. elections, this is going to kind of be a, a special edition of Content Pros where you know these days I think that's allowed because even if you go to TV, you can be watching sports highlights and somehow election results are coming in there. So I, I think we have permission to take a content angle to everything in, going on in your world, but maybe you can start us off for those who didn't hear the first podcast by telling us a little bit about what you do at Edison Research. Sure. So Edison is a is a custom market research company. Um, and largely our work is divided amongst uh, doing research for brands, consumer behavior around brand awareness and the uh, effectiveness of advertising. We also do a lot of media research. We just put out a, a public study called The Infinite Dial. It's uh, We've been doing The Infinite Dial series since 1998. So it's the longest running research series on digital media consumption behavior and habits uh we just put that out um but the thing that most people in the non-content world know us best for is the sole providers of exit polling data for all the major news networks during primaries caucuses and elections so regardless of what channel you're watching on tv on a primary night we just had one uh last night uh, as of the time of this recording all of that exit polling data comes from us and we've done that since 2004. So it is a, uh, it, it's not the majority of our business, but it's a, it's a honking big part. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned timeliness, Tom, I actually voted yesterday morning. So, you know, I, I think we were talking in the pre-show, it feels like this is one of the first years I can remember in the history of the United States where there's actually some strategy involved in how you vote, depending on your leanings. I know that there are some people that feel like they're various candidates, they really do not want to win. And some of that may be media portrayal or the actual content that's coming from the folks, the things that they're saying in some of the debates. What are you seeing? Like, are you seeing some of the things we're seeing in the news, talks, content, commercials, political ads, whatever, that's actually swaying the vote? Or, you know, maybe a take on the strategy involved by some folks, at least on Facebook, to say, you know, maybe I'm going to vote against this person rather than vote for someone else. You know, I, I, there's well, there's not a ton I can say about that, but I, I will offer this. I, I have certainly heard anecdotal evidence uh, from friends who have decided to do strategy, as you say, 
uh, certainly Democrats who vote Republican in open primaries uh, who maybe aren't registered as Democrat, but go in and vote in the Republican primary and vote against one candidate or another. Uh, the only thing I would say to that is uh, I would invite you to look at the margins between Clinton and Sanders in Massachusetts, which was about 20,000 votes uh, in Michigan, which was again about that. It was a super slim margin. Uh, and last night was Missouri, which still isn't done counting yet. They were separated by two tenths of a percentage. Um, and in, and in every case, uh, your vote for your candidate, if you were a democratic, uh, supporter would have mattered. So I, I have to say, I'm not a huge fan of, of strategy like that because there's just so many close races in the, in the democratic primary. Certainly if you did any kind of strategy in Missouri, I mean, we're still counting that vote. Um, so I, I, I guess my, my only advice would be to, to vote your conscience, whatever side of the, uh, of the aisle you're on. Well, fortunately, as a Canadian, I, I don't have to get involved in this too deeply. I mean, I, I can play more the role of the satirical guy like on Daily Show, where there's a lot of great Canadian comedians who have you know, weighed in on this. But, you know, one thing that does amaze me just just watching on television is the speed at which these polls are coming in now and the amount of different data that's being demanded. And maybe you can just kind of comment on, you know, how polling has maybe increased in terms of its importance around time. And it's very relevant when we talk about content and time these days and the importance of data in real time. But how has that changed from now versus four or eight years back? Well, I don't know if it's uh, four years back, but, you know, the news cycles keep getting shorter and shorter. And so uh, and, you know, polls are generally good polls that we don't do any of the pre-election polls when they talk about uh, one candidate leading another in a state before it's actually the primary day. We don't we don't do that work. And that's a, a conflict of interest for us. Um, but, you know, the polls have been have been pretty good. The, only Michigan was a real kind of miss for pre-election polls. But the, the polls are generally pretty good, especially when there are lots of them. But news cycles happen so quickly that in a state where, you know, polling stopped three or four days before a primary, things can still change in those three or four days. And so it's not necessarily a poll being off as news cycles and events happening so quickly that it's affecting last minute voters, right? It's affecting people who are genuinely undecided and there's certainly plenty of them out there. So I think as, you know, news cycles get shorter and shorter, uh, you know, polling and uh, polling regularly becomes increasingly important. Tom, one of the buzzwords that everyone loves to use as a punching bag right now is real-time marketing. And I think Oreo is the prime example of the Super Bowl tweet. And a lot of folks actually talk about the behind-the-scenes process, how it wasn't real-time marketing. It was preparation to be prepared for pretty much anything that happens and lots of planning and agency work. I, I'm wondering, what is the process like behind the scenes? I mean, I almost view this as Wizard of Oz. So the content production process behind the scenes of all of this data coming in that Randy was alluding to and trying to get that out to the news outlets and how do you actually pull out insights from that? Could you share a little bit of what's publicly able to be commented on to say, you know, how does that work? How do you actually do this stuff? It's really, uh, it's an amazing process. I mean, we are, uh, we're working our tails off on the data side of it, providing the data stream uh, with a whole bunch of different models to all of the networks. And the networks in turn 
have these amazing staffs to put together this content in such short order. I mean, everything from all of the graphics that you see on things like CNN, Fox, ABC, NBC, CBS, to uh, the great visualizations of our data that you see in the New York Times or the Washington Post. Uh, it's it is a it, it takes a, it takes a village. Uh, it's an enormous undertaking to do, uh, and I'm. You know, I'm not a I'm not a fan of uh, of real time marketing as you just used it uh, in that sense. I mean, real time marketing already was a thing. First of all, uh, if you ever have ordered something on Amazon and then as you've cleared your cart, you had another custom offer uh, given to you. That's that's really what real time marketing is. But the the content creation process that our clients and our network clients use is uh, is extraordinary. They just they just bring a lot of resources to bear. And if you if you look at it that way, I mean, our obligation uh, as the sole providers of this data is to be the providers of information about who voted and why. There's no other source of that information because we don't check those boxes on a ballot. Uh, but it is also another way to look at it. It's really the biggest content marketing project in America. I mean, all of our clients are using this as content and they're using that content to attract an audience and they're all trying to extract their own insights from it. Uh, and it's really just a testament to the many, many smart men and women uh, at the network level, especially the decision desk people that we work with, the pollsters and statisticians and the political analysts, to be able to pull all of this rich content out uh, in, in real time. And, you know, they, they do a pretty good job. So, so when we talk about, you know, the, the ability to do polls, to gather data, I think sometimes marketers get overwhelmed of that process and who's the right third party to go to. And, you know, what I'm even starting to see, and I'm wondering how much this is starting to compete in terms of how you uh, maybe distinguish the offering at, at Edison, is marketers starting to figure out how they can run some of their own studies. Um, and, you know, I could tell you even ourselves at Uberflip recently, we were trying to validate a theory that we had and we put together a whole uh, application to help us both help customers and learn from customers in terms of how they're building, say, a content marketing stack. So we call that Grade My Stack, which is this new uh, you know, experience that we have to really gather both you know, a lot of learnings, but really insights that we can use on a go forward. So I'm wondering, maybe you can comment just on how much you're seeing that start to to come into play. And are people even help getting you to help with their own strategies? I, you know, the one thing I would challenge about what you just said, Randy, was, uh, and, I, and I, I'm sure you didn't mean it this way, but if you put together a piece of research or a study to validate a theory you have, you'll always succeed. It's a uh, it's a bias that we have, a confirmation bias that essentially, if you try to prove yourself correct, you'll you'll win every time. You'll win that game. Uh, the piece of advice I would give to marketers, and I often give it, is the best way to use research to uh, aid in decision support, I'll say, is to try and prove yourself wrong. If you can prove yourself wrong, you could probably do it pretty quickly and you can then you don't have to waste your time. Uh, if you can't prove yourself wrong, then maybe you've got something there. Uh, and, the, you know, as far as in, in our business, what I think we sell is our product is comfort. What we sell is the ability to sleep at night, knowing that you have made a better decision than you would have made without our data. Uh, and we take great pains in sampling and survey design and weighting and analysis to provide that comfort. Uh, and the advice I, I like to give marketers is, you know, and, you know, do, 
in terms of do you need to call someone like me, someone in my profession or not, is to look at the cost of failure. If the cost of failure of what you're doing is small, then go ahead and do it. Don't call me. Try it. See if it works. If it doesn't work, then you figured out the reason why it didn't work. If it does, great. If the cost of failure is high, then it's generally worth devoting a percentage of that potential cost of failure to talking to a professional about uh, getting a little bit more certainty. So it's, you know, comfort is a big part of uh, what our offering is, I think. I love cost of failure. And, and I haven't heard that described. I hear a lot of people talk about, you know, fail faster, have a culture that embraces failure and try to learn from it. And all of those things that are, everyone loves to put in a cultural slide deck and say, this is what our company believes and whether they do or not. But cost of failure is slightly different. I think it's not just saying, hey, go out and do lots of things and experiment. It's actually understanding what are the implications of failure? How do we learn from that? How does this impact our business? How can content marketers take that back, not just from a marketing research perspective, but how can we put cost of failure around some of the things we're trying to do? Because everyone's chasing more leads, more business, create something viral, all the crazy jargon that we hear people say. Well, the only thing I would suggest here, and this we'll touch back on your fail fast comment. I understand the fail fast mentality and I understand that there is, there is a place for that. It is not the only path. Um, and you know, since we talked about the exit polls, we've been doing them since 2004, the company that did them in 2000, uh, that was the year that, uh, Florida got a little messed up, uh, in the Bush Gore election. That company went out of business immediately. Um, it gives me zero pleasure to say that it. So, if we had a fail fast mentality, Edison would not be in business. We do not have a fail fast mentality. We have, a, it is a better to be right and late than early and wrong mentality. And that is an equally valid mentality. Uh, and in terms of, uh, of content marketing, you know, I know we'll, we'll talk about the infinite dial here in a moment, which is sort of our big flagship media study. That's content marketing for us. We've done it since 1998. We spend a fortune getting it right. I mean, just in hard costs, getting it right. And it's an alternate path. You know, what I would suggest is that's a, that's a very successful study for us. It's currency in things like uh, social media and podcasting and, and digital audio uh, because we've spent on it. And we're extremely proud, Chris, to be working with you at Oracle on the holiday shopping series that we've been doing, which again is another path. You spend a little money to create something of lasting value that is credible and unassailable or as unassailable as we can make it. There's no perfect study. Uh, and, and then you have a resource you can draw upon again and again and again. Is that the right way to go? Uh, your mileage may vary, but it's an alternately correct way to go from the fail fast me- uh, mentality. And one quick follow-up on the holiday research thing. We actually have an unintended use for that, Tom, which we discovered after doing this the first year. So we've done this study for two years and now we are trying to get to a benchmark and we're actually pulling out individual snippets to use for sales tracks. So literally one slide is created. That's one of the key insights that helps support the sales process. So when they're talking to their customers to try to help them understand the importance of mobile or, you know, why they need to actually optimize things for mobile sites in the commerce process or how important is commerce to your tablet versus your computer. Some of the things that we've started to learn about how people shop, we're able to take that consumer trend and put that in front of a prospect, which we didn't discover until we had a conversation with sales to say, Hey, we're sitting on this. You know, would you guys like to use something like that? That's a, that's a 
big thing for me is to, I mean, you know, some of these research projects can cost a lot of, a lot of money. They don't all have to, some don't, but some do. And that's kind of one of my missions is to extend the organizational life of a research project like this. There's all kinds of things you can pull out from, not just for marketing, but also for sales and operations uh, from these kinds of studies. I did a, a study several months back for a startup uh, that had really hired us to do, a, you know, a piece of thought leadership research that they could use for content marketing purposes. And there were some things that came out of that study that actually challenged their business a little bit. And I think, you know, the mark of a, of a learning organization is if you can look at that and say, all right, we can use this for marketing purposes, but maybe we should rethink how we sell this thing because we haven't had this data before. Uh, so, you know, breaking down those silos in terms of consumer insights uh, is really the key to an agile organization, not to be too buzzwordy, but I just was. <laughs> now, I, I think what you're getting at is, is if you want to tell stories, which is what you know, content marketing is all about, you, you need substance, right? And, you know, it, it's actually a good point to, to talk about one of our, our partners here at Convince and Convert. As, as many of you know, Content Pros is a part of Convince and Convert. And there's another great podcast that I want to bring everyone's attention to. Uh, if you're thinking about how do you use all these insights that we're drawing out of polls and other ways to run research, at the end of the day, we have to tell a great story. And there's a great podcast. Chris and I had an opportunity to be interviewed recently by Park Howell uh, at Business of Story Podcast. It's another Convincing Convert production. It's a great lineup of storytellers. It goes across from Hollywood stories to B2B places like ourselves and their insights how do you use those to tell a better story? So I really encourage everyone to check that out at businessofstory.com. So Tom, you, you had alluded to the infinite dial and maybe, maybe you can give us some examples of, of some data that you've been able to you know, pull out of there to help with your own content marketing efforts and your own storytelling, as you said, in terms of maybe some of the big trends that, that you found in the, in the 2016 edition. Sure. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm on this podcast right now and I'm on this podcast right now, uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, I, Randy, we haven't met before, but, uh, no one loved Chris, so I'm happy to do it. And second of all, I believe in podcasting. And the reason why I can believe in podcasting as much as I do is because we have 11 years now of credible data on the rise of the medium, uh, to where it is today, which, it, which I believe has crossed into the mainstream. You know, we've been tracking uh, Americans' use of podcasting and, and podcast consumption since 2006, and that was a, a, a lonely time to be on stage for me uh, talking about podcasting, that's for sure. Back in 2006, uh, 11% of Americans 12 plus had ever listened to a podcast. Well, today that number is 36%. That's 98 million Americans, almost 100 million Americans. And I think at that point, you have to refer to podcasting as a mainstream medium, right? And even monthly podcast consumption, which, you know, if you want to call that more regular listening, uh, last year was at 17% of Americans 12 plus this year at 21% of Americans 12 plus. And that is an increase of 24% if you do the math. Uh, and that's actually the biggest percentage increase we've seen in the 11 years that we've been tracking podcasting. So uh, I do, I know there's a, a lot of debate in podcasting circles about the name and, and the future and things like that. Uh, I just believe at its core, on-demand audio is increasing the opportunities for audio consumption. 
And it's increasing the desire for things like spoken word programming. We have plenty of research on that. So as the opportunity to consume spoken word programming increases, as the desire to hear spoken word programming increases, and as the content rises to meet it, uh, that's a whole new opportunity path for uh, for marketers of, of all stripes if what they're producing is entertaining. Uh, and I, I, have, I, I think, Chris, I've shared my sort of criteria for great content. It either has to challenge entertain or come from genuine expertise. And I think if your audio podcast does that, then you have a shot. Well, the last point there, genuine expertise, I, I think I have started to hear from a lot of people since we did this podcast. And, you know, we have, I think, five or six rave reviews on iTunes. So we pretty much made it. I mean, you know, it's it's like up there, like top 1000 podcasts, maybe. I don't pretty know. Much, yeah. yeah, pretty much. Pretty much like number one for podcast name content pros. But since we started to do this, more people have conversations around podcasting. And I hear this a lot from companies that may be somewhat dry on the outside where people are like, oh, yeah, we connect machines to talk to each other. Or, you know, we're actually doing this one very specific thing in healthcare, and we have lots of subject matter experts, but people don't care about that. And there's always an audience. There's always someone to listen. But what advice do you have for folks trying to create content, and it could be specific to podcasting, that are sitting on tons of subject matter expertise and maybe they haven't figured out how to bring that story to market? Well, uh, understand your audience, first of all. And in many cases, if that content you're sitting on is you know, really uh, you know, drier content, let's say, really related to subject matter expertise, then you know, that may or may not be better suited to text. I don't know, but you do have to understand your audience in that case. Um, what I would suggest about podcasting, and I know a lot of people do video and a lot of people do podcasting, uh, it does require a bit of a mental reset. Now there's certainly going to be a, a, a percentage of people out there that do want to hear about Oracle, that do want to hear about Uberflip, that do want to hear about Edison. And there are, there are channels for that. But if you are in the business of creating audio content to develop an audience, you also have to understand who your competition was. Like my, if I'm trying to create audio content to develop an audience, my competition is not other research companies. At its, at the very heart, my competition is uh, Serial. My competition is Adam Carolla. Now, being a little bit facetious here, but you do have to create content that is going to entertain. You do have to understand that when you just go out there and turn on a uh, a, a crappy mic with poor production quality and badly scripted story elements that you're not just competing against another tire company or a detergent company. You're competing for people's attention. And one thing that we have certainly learned in the course of, of recent iterations of the infinite dial research is we do not have short attention spans. There's this myth that our attention spans keep getting shorter and shorter as uh, we keep getting distracted by Buzzfeed and things like that. But that's not the case, right? We binge watch house of cards. We power listen to serial. We will consume long-form pieces of content if it is good. We don't have long attention spans for crap, but we do have extremely long attention spans for things that engage us or challenge us or truly entertain us or truly come from expertise. And, and again, I take those three bars very, very seriously, and my content has to hurdle one of those three bars by some objective measure. It's a, it's a really interesting way to look at it. I mean, the, the other way I've always looked at it, Tom, is, you know, on top of all that, perhaps, is the importance of the ability to self-select, right? And, and, you know, when you think of other mediums that have maybe, you know, 
tapered off a bit in the in the last number of years be it television i mean for a long time it was about more and more and more channels and it got to the point though where the ability to discover the content on there became very tricky and the same thing could even be looked at you know if we get back to audio uh you know four or five years ago i was making sure the car i bought had you know serious xm capability and now it's you know, it's more important for me to be able to self-select the stuff that appeals to me in that moment. So maybe you can comment on on those trends that you've seen in that way as well. And what what type of mediums you think are going to be the most effective way to find this content? Well, there's certainly uh, there is certainly a discovery issue, I think, uh, if we're going to stick with podcasts and audio, there is definitely a discovery issue here. Uh, I think there are a number of people trying to crack that nut. Uh, you know, Stitcher does it in one way. I think there are some others uh, I'm not sure I can talk about that are trying to crack it in other ways. And then you have folks like uh, our clients at Pandora are beginning to incorporate spoken word content into their streaming offering. You can now get uh, you can now get serial on Pandora. It's not exclusive to Pandora, but if that's what you want to listen to, you can do it. Uh, and the percentage of uh, mobile phone owners who listen or have brought their cell phone into their car to consume content off their phone in their car uh, is now, I, I, I believe it's 37% in this year's infinite dial. I'll have to uh, double check that, but, but that's a pretty high number, right? That's, we don't have 37% of Americans with uh, internet connected dashboards. So they're doing it through a variety of means, maybe a, a USB cord, maybe a uh, Bluetooth, maybe a, a cassette adapter in that old Dodge dart, who knows, but there's a, there's a desire for it. There is a desire for us to shape our content experience in exactly the way that we want. And I think one of the things that content providers of all stripes have to consider is the context. What is the context that the content is being consumed in, right? If you want to reach somebody uh, and you think about where podcasts get listened to, let's say you want to, you want to reach somebody when they're in the gym, right? So how long should your podcast be? Well, how long do people work out? Uh, you have to consider that context of where and when people are consuming your content as another element to kind of shape how you present the content. You mentioned the cassette adapter in the Dodge Dart, and much like the transformation from cassette adapter to Bluetooth, Randy and the folks at Uberflip are trying to help you take your content marketing from ordinary to remarkable. So there's your segue, Randy. Flip the Switch is the name of this podcast. So Flip the Switch by Uberflip is a weekly podcast with some of the brightest marketing folks in the entire world. And you'll get useful insights, actionable takeaways, and a very fresh approach to content marketing challenges that you face every single day. If you go to uberflip.com slash podcast, you can discover the tips and tactics that will help you flip the switch from ordinary to remarkable. I hope people still aren't using cassette adapters, but if they are, at least they're trying to get from their phone into their car. That's always good. And that's how I binge listen to podcasts too. I'll try to listen to one on the way in and then go to another on the way home and kind of get through things that way. I, I haven't seen too many brands really embrace the concept of binge watching or binge listening. I've heard stories of some brands that have actually released, you know, an entire podcast. So maybe it's eight episodes and it's one linear story that progresses them through and they try to launch that way. But are you seeing that happen any now, Tom, where people are, are trying to figure out, hey, let's not just put out these one-off things. Let's try to walk people through this entire story and launch it all at the same time or a series of timed events. 
I think, you know, Netflix has really changed the paradigm there. And, you know, we have research in this year's Infinite Dial that says 33% of Americans 12 plus both subscribed to Netflix and watched programming on it this week. And that's a pretty high number, right? I think when Netflix first came out with things like House of Cards and Orange is the New Black, uh, I think people saw binge viewing as uh, as kind of a one-off. You know, I mean, in, the networks probably didn't fear this as threatening their paradigm, which is to produce content that gets tripped out week after week. Um, and that was true for a while. But the thing that's happening now with Netflix and with Amazon in particular is that they're putting stuff out weekly. They're, they're putting out stuff constantly that can be binge viewed, uh, at, you know, at any time. Right. And so the networks have started to embrace this a little bit, too. There have been some network uh, binge viewing uh, projects that have put out there. And the same thing, the same thing happens with audio. And it's, again, if you have, uh, you know, the, the time, the context, the environment to do it. And a lot of it is just the removal of friction in the consumption process. You know, when we first started commenting on podcasting, it was a very difficult thing to do. You had to download content to your computer. You had to plug in your iPod, which for your younger listeners out there is like an iPhone that you couldn't use to talk to somebody on. Uh, and you would have to then sort of, you know, sync it to your iPod and, and take it with you. Well, I I have an Amazon Echo in the house now, and I can't say her name or, or she will say something back to me. But if I want to hear a podcast, I will just ask her and I and I call her her uh, to to play that podcast. No friction at all. No downloading. No nothing. No thinking about it. And I'm listening to it in the kitchen. And what is happening here is the technology is becoming invisible. And when the technology becomes invisible, then it's the content that shines. I think that's a great way to put it, Tom. I, you know, I, I think it, I wrote a blog post recently on this called, you know, does your content journey have a dead end, right? And, and it's really, to your point, ensuring that the content is just simply there and available um, versus something that we have to load up or queue up or, you know, wait till next week um, in, in that type of respect. So we could we could easily keep going here for, for quite a long time, but we always like to get to know our content pros guests. And since you're, since you're a second-time guest, I can't go to our, our typical question of, of what you wanted to be as a child. So we were chatting earlier, and, and I thought we'd, we'd kind of ask you, you know, if you had, a, given all the knowledge you have, if you couldn't continue the career you had today, how would you, how do you take a different stab at something that that's always been tempting to you? Well, I'm a, I'm a bit of a jack of all trades, so it would be difficult for me to pick one thing that I would do. But, uh, uh, my wife, Tamsin and I are currently taking dance classes. So I'll say if I could not do market research, I would be a professional ballroom dancer. Uh, after my seven lessons, I believe I'm ready. I'm ready for that. Now. I'm ready to hit the circuit. I'm ready to win the pan Pacifics. <laughs> All right. Dancing with the marketing stars. There we go. There's a new podcast video format. Boom. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Tom. And Randy, thanks for another amazing show. On behalf of the Content Pros podcast, I am Chris Moody from Oracle Marketing Cloud. Randy Frisch from Uberflip is our other amazing co-host. Tom, it was great talking with you. All of our listeners, if you don't know where to find us, you can go to iTunes, Stitcher. I don't think we're on Pandora yet, but iTunes, Stitcher, contentprospodcast.com. Anywhere you like to consume your podcast, most likely you can find us there. Please do leave us a review if you have the time to do so, and we will talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening. 
Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, Oracle Marketing Cloud, and by Uberflip, and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts.